0: you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I accidentally made a 21 plus minute show, so you better hit that like button, let's just jump into it. Y'all, the first thing we're gonna jump into are updates around this whole Brendan Shaw, Bobby Lee, Kalila Kuhn, Ethan Klein situation. And if you want the full background on this, watch my Monday show. It, it takes too long to get through the weeds on this. But for everyone else, you know, there's been accusation after accusation flying around. With one of the biggest being comedian, Bobby Lee, saying that a group of comedians and podcasters threatened his career and bullied him. And that seemingly because of two things. One, even though it wasn't said by name, two women, one of which is Bobby Lee's wife, said that Brendan Shaw hit on them. And two, Shaw accused tech illiterate Bobby Lee of leading online Reddit attacks against him. But remember, this is an oversimplification. If you want the full details, Monday's show, watch it. And well, as far as public reaction, almost everyone immediately was against Brendan Shaw, there was a big question in the air. Who were the other comedians threatening Bobby Lee? And we learned it was at least comedian Brian Kalin, which is very interesting because both he and Bobby are Mad TV alums and he hosts a podcast with Brendan Shaw. And on the latest episode of the podcast, Brian confessed to being the person who targeted and bullied Bobby.
1: I'm the guy, I'm the one who did it. Bobby is 100% right in his anger at me, in, his, in how he felt, and I'm 100% wrong. I take full responsibility for the way I spoke to him, which was wrong.
0: There's no excuse. With him saying he loves Bobby and Bobby doesn't deserve any of this, emphasizing that he takes 100% of the responsibility for the bullying and the attacks, and claiming he only did it because he saw evidence tying the Reddit attacks to the Tiger Belly Hub, which is the name of the podcast, Bobby and Kalila host. When
1: I saw that, I went into protection mode. I'm a very protective person. That's my brother. I saw red and I assumed the worst about Bobby and about Kalilah. After speaking to Bobby, I realized, I really believe that he has nothing to do with it. I don't think he even knows anything about it. I believe him and I said that on the phone. You just I said on the phone. I and said, I believe you, Bobby. And what, and, what and, I, then, and what I tell you, B, when I spoke to within you the talk, first hold on, five minutes. let me do it, let me handle yeah, it. Then you spoke to Kalila, and yes. you called me right away and you said, dude, I believe her.
0: So if you look through the comments of that podcast, the audience, or at least the people watching that video, were not having it. With comments like, it's really brave of Brendan to sit there while his daddy defends him for an hour and a half, what an alpha. Also, if they felt this way, why did it take until Bobby was forced to talk about it publicly for them to apologize? And I appreciate Brian taking responsibility, but he did more than be rough with him on the phone. He threatened his whole career and livelihood and blackmailed him into revealing painful and personal information about his life publicly. If you're gonna own up, actually own up to the full scale of what you did and don't downplay it. With a number of people kind of seeing the video in general just being Callan trying to jump on the grenade for Shaw. Because also, if you watch the full podcast, they really only address one part of the controversy. And kind of the last things I wanna add to this part of the story, uh, one, Brendan, when you say this. I surround myself with much smarter people you mark catch and everybody in here smart me I'll give you that one with you being you that shouldn't be a hard thing but also two apparently not if you're like yeah I surround myself with smart people who apparently do internet research that made you accuse Bobby Lee of doing something he didn't do and two, to it's, it's Brian trying to explain what he did by saying you know I just get so protective that's a little bit will Smithy but unfortunately for shop this is not where the story ends now because one of the things that happens when you have the spotlight of controversy on you is that a lot of other things start to come out now sometimes unfortunately a lot of those things can be untrue but also so other times it's just stuff that was overlooked. One of those things are accusations that free speech advocate Brendan Schaub has been abusing the copyright system. With Ethan Klein putting out a new video accusing Brendan of abusing copyright policies, sharing a Reddit post where a creator said that Brendan copyright claimed their video criticizing Brendan's latest special. With Ethan, who of course has fought fair use cases in court, winning those cases, saying of this critique video that he watched it himself, arguing that the video should 100% count as fair use, and saying that these bad faith claims are attacks on free speech and adding. It's it's especially ironic because Brendan is, with the Joe Rogan crowd, all these enlightened conservatives who are, a, you know,
1: vicious free speech activists, except when it comes to people criticizing them.
0: Even also claiming that Brennan previously tried to sue a YouTuber who made jokes about him and saying... I love how these guys, these death squad guys, or the f- their little clique is, talks about f- free speech. You don't really believe that, okay? Let's be real. You're shutting down criticism and you're pretending like it's a copyright issue. It's not. It's fair use. You know, interesting stuff starts popping up when you start searching things like Brendan Schaub copyright. Yeah, ultimately that is where we are for now. And it'll be interesting to see what happens here, both on the copyright front, as well as what's been happening between Tiger Belly and Brendan Schaub and Brian Callen. Do they talk it out? Is there a confrontation? Do they talk about the copyright claims? What does all that look like when Brian Callen isn't trying to take the blow for Schaub? I don't know, but for those who've been keeping up with this story, what are your thoughts with all these updates? And then gross and unacceptable. Those are the words being used by some to describe what just happened to actor Jesse Williams. So if you don't know, Jesse is currently in a play called Take Me Out. And there was an audience member that filmed a certain scene, which already a no-no, but in particular, uh, this scene was a special one because uh, as I learned this morning when I was scrolling through Twitter for my memes and everyone being angry at each other, uh, that was a dick. I saw a dick, unexpected dick, which is the worst kind of dick. A statement I think almost any woman and Madison Cawthorn's friends could probably agree with. Yeah, someone filmed Jesse Williams naked on stage and threw that shit on the internet. President of the Actors' Equity Association saying, as actors, we regularly agree to be vulnerable on stage in order to tell different and challenging stories. But adding, this does not mean that we agree to have those vulnerable moments widely shared by anyone who feels like sneaking a recording device into the theater. And arguing that what happened here violates the mutual trust of theater goer and performer saying it's both sexual harassment and an appalling breach of consent. Also, second stage a nonprofit producing Take Me Out, saying that posting this on the internet is a gross and unacceptable violation. And adding that they're actively pursuing takedown requests and upping security at the show to enforce the no phone rules. We've also seen cast members slamming the leak. And then, for his part following this, Jesse Williams himself has played it cool while addressing the nudity. Saying, it's a body, once you see it, you realize it's whatever, it's a body. I just have to make it not that big of a deal. But I will say, it's always weird when a guy's photos get leaked because it feels like there's less of a concern for him, especially if he, like Jesse, is uh, doing well for himself. Like a lot of the people that you would think would maybe have a reaction of like, that person didn't consent, like there's just a lot of general thirst and horniness. No matter the public reaction, at the end of the day, Jesse didn't get to choose, this random stranger did. And that, it's just weird and gross, and I know the public reaction would be far different if this was a woman. But with all that said, that's a story, some of my personal opinion, of course now I pass the question off. What are your thoughts regarding the leak and the public reaction thus far? And then let's talk about the very light, fluffy, topic of death, specifically if and when you get to choose one. So let's talk about it. This story starts back in February with a 51-year-old woman by the name of Sophia. She has a medical condition known as multiple chemical sensitivity, which means that common chemicals in things such as cigarette smoke, laundry detergent, and even air fresheners can trigger nausea, blinding headaches, and in extreme cases, anaphylactic shock. So, unable to work, she lives off of disability stipends amounting to just $1,169 per month, putting her well below the poverty line. And during the pandemic, you know, she's mostly in her apartment, all of a sudden so are her neighbors, who she says began smoking indoors more. Sending fumes through the building's ventilation system. Plus, you had more chemical cleaners being used in the hallways, making her feel awful. And so she seals the vent, she confines herself to her bedroom or dungeon, as she calls it. You know, she's like, you know, if I could just find specialized housing where airflow is more controlled, my symptoms would be manageable. So for two years, she, along with her friends, supporters, and doctors, searched Toronto for safe and affordable housing, even begging local, provincial, and federal officials for assistance, but nothing works. But they're saying the government sees me as expendable trash, a complainer, useless, and a pain in the ass. And adding, my landlord does not believe anything is wrong with me and refuses to do 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 anything else to help with regards to making this apartment safe for me to live. And so finally, giving up the search, trying to work the angle she chooses, what she feels like is the only option left, suicide. Specifically, assisted suicide. And this is where the heart of the controversy lies. Because back in 2016, Canada passed a law called Medical Assistance in Dying, or MAID, allowing eligible adults to request a legal medically assisted death. With this meant to help people who are suffering near the end of their lives, with supporters arguing that people should have the right to die, or as this doctor explains.
1: When I first tell someone that they are eligible for an assisted death, uh, almost always I see a physical change in their body, almost immediately. There is an immediate sense of relief. And they can stop thinking and worrying about what exactly is going to happen at the end of their life. They, ha- they know now that they have that choice and they can really grab onto those final days or weeks or months that they have left and really focus on living them intently and with purpose. But
0: last year, lawmakers expanded the criteria for MAID to include people with some extreme chronic illnesses and disabilities, arguably leading to the situation with Sophia where some say the practice is being used to kill sick or impoverished people rather than just taking care of them, also resulting in headlines like, why is Canada euthanizing the poor? And now the issue stirring up a passionate debate again from both sides because of a 31 year old woman by the name of Denise. She's in a wheelchair after suffering a spinal cord injury six years ago and coincidentally, she has the same medical condition as Sophia, where com- and chemicals debilitate her. So like Sophia, Denise and her supporters say they've called 10 different agencies in Toronto over the past six months to locate housing with reduced chemical and smoke exposure that she could afford on her disability stipend. But not long ago, she too gave up and chose to die using MAID. And now she's in the final stages of the approval process saying, I've applied for MAID essentially because of abject poverty. But on the other side of this, you have people arguing, you know, Sophia and Denise, they are extreme cases that the criteria for MAID is actually very stringent. With one doctor telling the guardian, the only treatment for that is avoidance of all triggers. It's pretty much impossible to do in ordinary life. So better housing can create a temporary bubble for a person, but there's no cure for this. We do this work because we believe in people's right to an assisted death. It's not always easy to do, but we know the patients need it and value it. We live with the challenge of the work in part because it's important to alleviate that suffering. And it appears that there may be upcoming changes for the law as well, with a special joint parliamentary committee currently deciding whether to expand the access to consenting children and those with mental illness. And as far as MAID's opponent's right, could this law be pulled back in some way? Well, it looks unlikely that the law would get repealed since it's backed up by Supreme Court rulings and not just Parliament. So the question I pass off to you. What are your thoughts on assisted suicide in general, but also two, what are your thoughts regarding these specific cases? Do you see it as the euthanizing of the poor rather than helping them? Or do you see this as no, this is just like any other assisted suicide. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Vessi. Vessis are lightweight shoes that are perfect for all seasons. They actually keep your feet warm and dry through rain, snow and mud, and they're built for everyday life. Vessi makes 100% waterproof and snowproof sneakers that are incredibly comfortable, breathable, and actually pretty stylish. And get this, they've reimagined their everyday slip-ons to be even more breathable and supportive than ever before. And they have the same sock light fit, laceless design and waterproof Dymotex technology you love. The everyday move slip-ons also now feature added arch support, which makes them perfect for long days on your feet and the perfect shoe for lightweight travel. And I'm constantly in my Vessi's running errands, playing in the yard with the kids, or even on muddy hikes. And these everyday slip-ons have become even more convenient for me, no laces. And they're always coming out with new designs and colorways, so head on over to Vessi.com DeFranco right now, and be sure to use code DeFranco to get $25 off. Grab a pair right now while they still have your size and you'll be. Thanking me later. And then, I just, I have to talk about it. This is a story that I missed. We need to talk about an Indiana farmer by the name of Andrew Wilhoy. And that's because he just won the GOP primary for Clinton Township Board Representative from prison. And oh no, it doesn't stop there. This is a man who, according to police, was charged with killing his wife back in March, right after she finished her last chemo treatment for breast cancer. She reportedly told him she wanted a divorce because she found out that he was having an affair. And rather than just being the politician who cheated on his wife, who had cancer, who was going through chemo, he allegedly struck her in the head with a big concrete Flowerpot and putting her body in his car and later dumping her in a nearby creek. Prosecutors then say that after lying about his wife's whereabouts, Will Hoyt eventually confessed. He did. He's not just in prison because maybe he did it. He confessed to killing her. He says that it's after she attacked him, but he confessed to murder and so he was charged with first degree murder. But apparently in Indiana, literally confessing to a crime that carries a life sentence in prison or even the death penalty is not enough of a reason to disqualify someone from the ballot. And of the 276 people who voted in this local election, 60 people, 21% of the vote cast a ballot for a man who confessed to murdering his wife after he cheated on her while she had cancer. Now, the insanity of the situation aside, he's not guaranteed to get this position if or rather when he's convicted at minimum, he won't be able to be elected. scheduled to go on trial in August. There is a solid chance he will then be removed from the ballot before the general in November. But I just can't help but wonder like did the 60 people know he did this or they were just like that seems like a name and that's like the only requirement? Like was it blind voting or were people like okay I get the murder is bad but he knows how to balance a budget. Nothing matters anymore and everything is stupid. And then, not a super fun time to have Bitcoin. Seemingly, the only thing more volatile than the US stock market right now is Bitcoin, and oh my God, my portfolio across the board, bloodbath. Bad news for me, great news if you want me to start putting out shows on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's funny because it hurts. But yeah, at one point this morning, Bitcoin plummeted below 30,000, though as of recording, it has rebounded some. Not much, it's still 10% lower than it was last week and 54% lower than its previous high back in November. Ethereum also in a similar boat right now, but all of this, it's not too shocking. As investing in crypto has become more normalized, there's no reason that it won't reflect to some degree what we see in the stock market, especially as more and more traders just kind of see it as uh, Vegas. But, Right now, both seem to be affected by a similar thing and that is high interest rates and just fear in general. Higher rates discourage risky investments and crypto is definitely risky. Though, I will stop short from saying uh, it is the riskiest Thing. I uh I've bought and sold at different times, but my worst investment to date is I bought some Peloton stock at $110. It closed yesterday at twelve dollars ninety cents. Honestly, I, I should have just thrown that money into a bonfire. I think I would have enjoyed it more. But for people holding Bitcoin right now, it can be a concerning time. Especially because reportedly 40% of people holding Bitcoin right now are underwater on their investment. But all of that is nothing compared to the people that aped into NFTs. That market has increasingly dried up, with info from data website non-fungible showing that about 19,000 NFTs were sold on average every day lately, which sounds like it could be a lot until you compare it to last September when 225,000 were being sold daily. And that's like a 90% decline in the number of active wallets have seen a similar trend down to around 14,000 from 119,000. With people pointing to possibly the biggest loser of the NFT craze being Sina Estavi. He is the CEO of a Malaysian blockchain company and bought an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet for $2.9 million back in March of 2021. With him then trying to sell that NFT, but that only received bids of up to fourteen. Thousand dollars which he didn't accept. But I will say at the very least, it was cool to see someone make a worse investment into something other than Peloton. But, you know, the thing with the NFTs, especially because most of them have no utility whatsoever, the numbers are always just, they sound made up. Like for example, one Snoop Dogg curated NFT sold for $32,000. And now the seller is asking for $25.5 million with the highest bid clocking in at two hundred ten. dollars that's it, $210, right? And with these numbers, it's not just interest rates that could be impacting it. I mean, it's uh, interest oversaturation. I think too many people seeing rug pulls, but also whether you love them or hate them, and I know this audience hates them. There's no way guarantees that NFTs are dead or that crypto will continue to drop. It's just a matter with crypto, especially, is this just a dip? And with NFTs, do they evolve and become more about a utility, which still there are many people that argue that NFTs are not the thing. They are not the ship. But yeah, whether you love or hate any of Things that I talked about today, I would love to know what do you think happens from here? And then we have to talk about this huge news about Israel because. For decades now, Israel has received tons of criticism for what many view as heavy-handed actions in the Palestinian territory. And that criticism just got a hell of a lot louder because it's now been accused of killing Palestinian American journalist, Shireen Abu Akla. For those who don't know, Abu Akla was a well-known face for Al Jazeera covering Palestine. And in the early hours of this morning, she was covering an Israeli raid on a refugee camp in Jenin to apprehend what was referred to as terrorist suspects. With IDF forces having increasingly raided the Jenin refugee camp in response to a substantial increase in indiscriminate attacks against Jews. Israeli officials alleging the Palestinian group started throwing a explosives and firing on the Israeli soldiers, leading to a gunfight, and saying that during this gunfight, Abu Akla and her producer, Ali Samoudi, were struck. Now, Samoudi is in stable condition, while Abu Akla was struck in the head and pronounced dead shortly after arriving at the hospital. With Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett saying that the journalists were likely shot by a Palestinian gunman and adding, Palestinians and Janine were even filmed boasting, we hit a soldier, he's lying on the ground. However, no Israeli soldier was injured, which increases the possibility that Palestinian terrorists were the one who shot the journalist. But the Israeli military has since backtrack on that statement instead, saying that it's unclear who shot Abu Akla. However, Samoudi says that what happened was very clear, telling colleagues, we were going to film the Israeli army operation and suddenly they shot us without asking us to leave or stop filming. The first bullet hit me and the second hit Shireen. Al Jazeera also clearly blaming Israel for Abu Akla's death and saying in a statement, in a blatant murder violating international laws and norms, the Israeli occupation forces assassinated in cold blood Al Jazeera's correspondent in Palestine, Shireen Abu Akla, targeting her with live fire early this morning while conducting her journalistic duty. Also, Qatar, which which funds Al Jazeera calling the killing a heinous crime and a flagrant violation of international humanitarian law and a blatant infringement on freedom of media and expression. Also, so far, it doesn't seem to be a situation where Israel is going to blame Arabs and vice versa because Israeli groups are also calling bullshit. One, even calling out footage from the IDF that shows where the alleged Palestinian shooter fired from and proving that it would be impossible to hit Abu Akla from there. There are dozens of major buildings and hills between the alleged firing spot and where Abu Akla was shot, not to mention the fact that Abu Akla wasn't the only journalist on the scene, with others also claiming that it was Israeli forces that fired. Fired on them. Nabu Akla's death already seems to have served as a spark to discuss how heavy handed Israel has been with Palestine. Her body now having been draped in a Palestinian flag with her press body armor on top and carried through the streets of Jenin, followed by a procession of Palestinians and journalists. Now, to be clear, we don't officially know who shot her, but the evidence and the comments from journalists on the scene do seem pretty clear that it was Israel. Which has also led to outlets like the Associated Press getting a ton of shit for the way they covered this story. With them having tweeted out, breaking, Shireen Abu Akla, a journalist for the Al Jazeera network, was killed by gunfire in the occupied West Bank, the Palestinian health ministry says. The shooting happened during an Israeli army raid in Jenin. Now, all of that is factually correct, but in a way that's left many dissatisfied. With it widely pointed out now that by the time this story went out, it was very clear that Israel was likely behind her death with people like Hassan Piker tweeting, it was the IDF that shot and killed this Al Jazeera journalist. Might be hard to figure out from the passive language in the headline from AP. And the crazy thing is that the Associated Press itself and in its influential style guide addressed this exact issue back in 2020 tweeting, avoid the vague officer involved for shootings and other cases involving police. Be specific about what happened. If police use the term, ask, how was the officer or officers involved? Who did the shooting? If the information is not available or not provided, spell that out. And so retweets of that exact thing dominated the responses to the APs Coverage. And since her death, things have gotten very tense in the area, especially because Israel has a controversial history of accidentally shooting Palestinian journalists. Not to mention that police actually raided her home just as they started filming this in order to take down Palestinian flags and for other unknown reasons. Cause you know, that's not super suspicious or anything. Makes you wonder what they're going to find. But. Whatever the case may be, this is gonna be a story that we keep our eye on, and we'll keep you updated. And then, well, you know, news here in the States, you have protesters chanting outside Brett Kavanaugh's house in Sri Lanka, motherfuckers are literally torching the homes of their government ministers down to the ground. With the chaos caught on video, and you can see the night in flames, and over 50 ministers' homes have been set on fire. With reports coming out that on Monday, five people were killed, including a ruling party lawmaker and nearly 200 wounded in the capital, Colombo, which was then followed on Tuesday by the defense ministry ordering security forces to shoot on sight anyone looting public property or causing harm to life. And that coming after hundreds of protesters defied a nationwide curfew and gathered outside the president's home to shout anti-government slogans. But one of the biggest things happened outside the official residence of the prime minister who had resigned earlier that day. You had people there storming the property and trying to break into the main building where he and his family were hiding, with at least 10 petrol bombs getting thrown into the compound. But then in a dramatic pre-dawn rescue operation, the military fired warning shots into the air to disperse protesters, eventually securing the former prime minister, taking him to safety. And at this point you might be wondering, why are the people so angry? And the answer is it's all too common The the reason is that Sri Lanka is currently suffering the worst economic and political crisis since independence in 1948. The country's economy has been deteriorating for a long time, but it's gotten really bad in the past few months. The government's foreign currency reserves have run dry. It's struggling to pay its massive $51 billion foreign debt, which has been exacerbated since the pandemic with revenue from tourism dropping, which led to last month, the government suspending payments on its foreign debt while the IMF designs a loan restructuring program. But even the government says that could be as far as three months away. Without foreign currency, the country can't import basic essentials like food, fuel, and medicine. Leading to chronic blackouts for up to 13 hours a day and record inflation. Soldiers getting posted to gas stations and some people even dying from the heat, just waiting in line. But when protests last month became violent and demands for the president to resign grew, instead he just ordered a curfew, which then just pissed people off more. And even though the next day he lifts the curfew, the entire presidential cabinet, except for the president's brother, the prime minister, now former prime minister, just quit. And then over 40 lawmakers defected from the ruling coalition, leaving the president with a minority in parliament. With one lawmaker who broke ranks with the president's party and joined calls for him to step down saying, if we don't act now, there will be a river of blood in the country. And so now the biggest target for protesters is the president who has still refused to step down. And so for now, we're gonna have to wait to see what happens because the next parliamentary election isn't supposed to be until 2025 though, there could be a snap election soon or alternatively a no confidence vote against the president or people just might burn the whole fucking thing down. When there is this level of desperation, anything is possible. But ultimately that is where that story and today's show ends. Of course, thanks for watching, being a part of that conversation down below. If you want more news, you can click or tap right there or in the description. But of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.